Robbie Suave is a senior editor at Reason, Reason.com. He's got a great article out now. A year ago, the media mangled the Covington Catholic story, but what happened next was even worse. Welcome, Robbie. How are you? I'm great. Thanks for having me. You bet. So, so make this case. It's fascinating. Sure. So, uh, so it's a year later, and uh, I was looking back at you know the story, what people said, how it kind of all happened. This was obviously a big story for me. I was one of the first to kind of see the full footage and uh, and kind of and try to reverse this narrative that had taken hold. Right. Um, anyway, what struck me is that you know there, there. So the mainstream media has attracted a lot of well-deserved criticism for reporting this story and getting it wrong. Outlets like Washington Post, CNN, etc that have subsequently been sued by Nicholas Sandman, et cetera. Um, but what I, what I was struck by looking back on this again is those outlets so certainly deserve blame. They got it wrong. But they did, um, they did reverse course when it was called out. Um, there were so many uh, more ideological writers, pundits, et cetera, who, who not only did not apologize, they continued to defiantly assist Uh, insist, and probably do to this day, that the initial media coverage was correct. There were people who went looking for facts that had nothing to do with all of this. Um, You know, oh, well, years ago at a Covington basketball game, is this someone in blackface? And it it wasn't. But even if it was, (laughs) it would have had nothing to do with whether Nicholas Zanman had harassed uh, this Native American man. So I was more I almost feel like we've forgotten that side of it a little bit in the focus on um, how irresponsible the kind of more mainstream coverage was. So, first of all, let's talk about the mainstream coverage for just a second and what's happening to them. Any idea, any guess what CNN settled for? Uh, I, I have asked people there. I've tried to find out this information. Um, no one knows. My just wild guess would be like two or three million dollars um it would surprise me if they paid more than five wow that's Uh, what that's what Stu says i would be surprised if it was not in double digits or i mean in 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 eight digits digits. Mm -hmm. um i just well i just my frame of reference here is the role is rolling stone uh the lawsuits from the university of virginia gang rape that right years ago right and that and and honestly that was a stronger case uh because rolling stones uh wrongdoing was was actually more egregious um, and they, you know, that was million, a couple million dollar payout. Yeah. We should point out, Robbie was also uh, one of the guys leading that uh, truth telling uh, ability there. Because, I mean, without without you, Robbie, I don't know we would have ever had the truth on either one of these two stories. So thank you for doing that. That was uh, it's important work. Uh, thank you. You know, it was it was my <laughs> pleasure to really get to the truth of these things. And I don't you know, I'm not it wasn't like I was so ideologically invested in these either of these stories. I just sat down to write something. And then you start looking at the other information available, and and both times I started thinking, oh wow, there's a lot more to this that people haven't really picked up on yet. So, Robbie, I mean, just look. Let's just look at today, where Joe Biden came out and issued a memo yesterday to the news media that said, "Fall in line. It's uh, worse than a journalistic malpractice if you say that there's anything at all to these uh, conspiracy theories." on any wrongdoing by me or my son in Ukraine. And they're taking it. They're taking it. They're, they're, the, the media is not outraged by that. How, how, do we, how do we even have hope for the truth in a, with a media like this? 
I mean, that's the problem, right? The problem is uh, we have divided, I think, into two tribes quite neatly. There's there's Trump tribe and there's media tribe. And so the media are not uh, the, the illusion. I think to some degree, this always was an illusion, right, that they're objective gatekeepers and just kind of call, you know, calling it like they see it and they're not taking sides and they're fair and down the middle. That is that is over. And to, to some degree, they're not even claiming that or they're not not as strongly even claiming that they're in the opposition camp. And so all things that happened, all developments, all, all stories, news must be must be segmented, must be put in either. How does this you know, how does this help Trump if you're a pro Trump person or, or how is this is, how does this help and defend the media? The media is the opposition party. So that's not surprising to see candidates who represent the media party explicitly calling for them to, you know, to kind of serve on the front lines of, of a war on Trump, because that is that is the role uh, they are suggesting that they are going to play. Not not everyone, not all of them, but but a lot more than it used to be. So 2024, I think, is when historically the pendulum should start shifting back uh, towards some sanity. Um, do you see an appetite at all for the truth where the chips fall i mean i don't i present i try to present the truth but i am also an opinion guy i'm not news i don't know of uh, of anybody who is uh who is huge mainstream that would even consider taking on no let the chips fall where they may who who's doing well, that i mean that's a that's a problem right uh the the kind of I think um, scaring people sells or worrying people that uh, that a lot of this is even non ideological that just things are worse than ever and then there's an ideological component right that we live in in like a more racist and more sexist and more homophobic et cetera et cetera society so then of course when something like Covington happens that confirms your thinking because you're looking for it because you're thinking these are this is the worst of all times and we've degraded as a society et cetera. Uh, you know, I see all the time, again, outlets like CNN, Washington Post, reporting things like hate crimes are higher than ever. But if you actually dig into the statistics, and I really have, they don't they don't even begin to prove that that's true. And it actually seems quite ridiculous if you think of <laughs> how far we've come as a country on many of these fronts. Uh, but they're they're scaring you with these headlines all the time to, to worry you into thinking the world is such a bad place. But I remember I had, and Stu, see if you remember this, I think it was the the editor of the San Francisco Examiner, very left. And I had him on the show because he said, uh, Glenn Beck is a journalist, blah, blah, blah. And uh, and in some way, in a weird way, he was kind of almost endorsing that you know journalistic credibility. And I had him on the air and I said, I'm an opinion maker. I try to take the facts and do my own homework but then what i present is an opinion he said that's a journalist and i said no that's not a journalist and there was this weird conversation where i had a journalist trying to convince me that i was a journalist and i'm not but now <laughs> you know you just you just said it there is no difference between the truth that you get from cnn well let me use this brian stelter last week just had on reliable sources Media matters. <laughs> Hello. 
So yeah. these people who cut, yeah, they cut video clips and of people saying things, and they make it look like it's really bad. And then, and then I, I've learned now, I have to go back and watch the full clip. Right. Maybe you're missing a very important segment of, but, but of, what, uh, of what whoever it is just said. Uh, you know, it, it kind of goes to question your article because um, you said you know the other media was even worse. It, are they separate anymore? Is there an opinion media and CNN? Are they different? I think social media has made has eroded this distinction because you have people um, who are supposedly straight news objective reporters who don't have opinions, and of course everyone has opinions. So this is this was almost always a little silly. Sure. But then you can see what they're saying on Twitter. Um, you know, they're need, you're getting their knee-jerk, unedited reactions to news, to things like Covington or whatever, or, or like just Jussie Smollett, and they're, you know, they're, they're, they're falling over themselves about how horrible this is and, you know, smearing anyone who even is slightly skeptical of it, not in the news story that they're going to write for their paper, but on their social media feed. So then you're seeing, you know, what they really think, what has not been, what has not been uh, worked on by an editor. And uh, almost that's clarifying, and it's like it's like a good thing that was allowed to happen because now there's there can be no more delusions about this. Yeah, and you go into a lot of this. The great examples in your story. I mean, some of people who are saying how punchable Nick Sandman's face is. Um, you go through a ton of them. One in particular, who I believe referred to you as a professional contrarian, which is quite the title. Um, but they went on to say, even after all of this footage came out, not only. Was it uh, was it uh, wrong to change your mind on the story and think that you know these kids didn't really do anything? You were a sellout if you came out and corrected yourself. They actually went after the people who had the courage to correct themselves on the story. Yeah, that's right. They were shaming people who said they're sorry, and that was really the point of my most recent piece: is to say it's you know it's better to be wrong and apologize than to be wrong and 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 but insist you weren't wrong and cling to that wrongness. And then try to attack people uh, for having a, a shred of integrity or more integrity th- than you do. Yeah, that was a, a piece at Deadspin that was just utterly vile. And, and Deadspin is a is a really kind of mean spirited place anyway. But I no, would Deadspin is <laughs> or was <laughs> or was or was right. Yeah. Well, that that was one of the things I, I wanted to I was interested in uh, Rob because when I read I was reading your piece and I hadn't I had missed the initial Dead Deadspin piece when it came out. And I thought to myself, gosh, you know, you make a mistake like that, then you double down on it in the nasty way that you cover in the piece. I went back and read her piece and thought to myself, gosh, she must have paid a price for this, right? Like, it, it, journalistically, like, in your in your job, you probably have a tougher time getting a job. No, she's gone to a more mainstream outlet and has a better job than she did when she wrote the piece. She was rewarded for this behavior, and now is at, I believe, Vice and has a nice big role over at Vice. Yes, and I remember people at the time, a year ago, this was, Share, so there were people at slightly more uh, mainstream, not mainstream, but in like an like Atlantic type leftist, sure. more respectable. Um, I remember people sharing that piece and citing that piece in clearly in a way that like this is what I wish I could have said. This is how I, this represents my thinking, but I can't get away with that in my position. But mm. but so I'll just put this out for you to you know what I mean. There yeah. was a lot of that. Yeah, a lot of that. Yeah, it's, it's, I mean it doesn't surprise me. But I mean, it's a, it is remarkable that someone goes through that. You know, Deadspin obviously, uh, you know, they, they were a big, it was a big attitude place, and you know, obviously went through all of its troubles and is basically, 
you know, gone now. But to go over to now to Vice, which again is not, I'm not saying is a mainstream site, and it certainly has some of the same characteristics as Deadspin, but again, it has shows on HBO and it has mm-hmm. these big relationships with advertisers and all this. And she gets rewarded for this stuff. I mean, this is why it's impossible, I think, for people to take the media seriously when sometimes they do need to take it seriously because this stuff continues to happen so, over and over again. Robbie, what, what happens next? Where do we go from here? Oh, that's a, that's a difficult question. I mean, I, w- I wish we could have some uh, some faith in the media. I wish they were more responsible and could earn back the public trust in some cases, because a lot of, you know, I'm, I'm a journalist. I know a lot of people who do good work. Um, and it, it, it some, I think sometimes it all gets written off because of these high profile total disasters. So there needs to be some kind of um, settling down or taking a breath or stepping back. Or I just wish people, uh, the journalists themselves, would would refrain from from having this need to, like, um, tell crazy viral stories without any additional information. Like, (laughs) I mean, the, 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 the fundamental fact of the Covington story is that it wasn't even a story. It was a trivial incident between people yes. who were not who had no social significance, so there was no reason to write about it in the first place. Right. So that kind of news judgment that privacy matters a little bit, that we should not use all the technology we have today to like watch people all the time and, and call them out for wrong things. I mean, that takes an act of personal responsibility on the part of the media that maybe they will get there. Yeah. Uh, after not re- after their response to Joe Biden's memo where he said, step in line and don't don't yeah. report on any of this stuff. Uh, I think we're, I think we're a ways before they start to turn around and go, Hey, maybe I'm headed in the wrong direction. Robbie, uh, Robbie, thank you so much. Robbie uh, Suave, senior editor at reason.com. Thanks. Always great to have you My on. Pleasure. I just, I, I, in case you haven't heard the news today, we covered it in the first hour. But as the impeachment is is going on, there's two stories that I think are the main stories coming in and around the impeachment today. The first one is Schiff is warning on a Russian attack on the U.S. mainland. And that was day two of the Senate impeachment trial. He actually got up and said, um, we have to we have to impeach him. Because removing Trump from office is necessary for the integrity of the 2020 election, because it can't be assured if he's in office. Just that statement in and of itself is so damaging to the republic. Mr. Mr. Congressman, what have you done to put into place any kind of systems to protect our, our voting system? Did you know in, in Seattle, they're going to be the first city, they're very progressive, the first city that is going to be able to uh, 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 call in your vote. You'll be able to do it on an app on your phone. So you can vote on your phone in Seattle. Really? Have we vetted this? Have we looked at this? With all of the hacking and everything else, that's a good idea to Seattle? What has the Congress done if he's so concerned about the 2020 election? By the way, that's a whole new charge. They haven't been saying that. That's a whole new charge. Then he said, we're not sure, but the way this is going with Donald Trump, uh, I mean, I can't rule out an, an 
on land on American soil invasion from Russia. That's one of the craziest things I've ever... They didn't do it during the Cold War. They're going to do it now? Hey, Adam, uh, 1980s called. They want their foreign policy back. (laughs) (laughs) So I... uh, We had uh, Candace Owen on this week, who I just think is fantastic. And, you know, I kind of, I I remained silent at the beginning with Candace because I didn't know who she was. I knew that she was a liberal that uh, woke up because of Trump. I thought what she was doing with Blexit was, was really good. And with Kanye, I mean, Kanye, that's the first time that we started seeing Kanye wake up. And he's apparently not a conservative. What a surprise. Um, but but he doesn't like people telling him what to think and what to say. Well, that kind of is a conservative because that's one of the principles I want to conserve. We're all unique. We're all individuals. And uh, and I saw her speak at uh, Charlie Kirk's conference of Turning Point USA in uh, West Palm uh, just uh, right before Christmas. And she I think she could be president. I really do. I think maybe 10 years. If she continues on this curve, her learning curve is almost straight up, and she's not afraid to say, I don't know. But the the message that she has been delivering uh, on stage is very powerful and well thought out. Um, and I'm I'm really impressed with her. And likewise with Charlie Kirk. Charlie Kirk, did you even know who he was five years ago? Uh, no, yeah. I don't think I did. Charlie Kirk is a guy who grew up watching me on on Fox, and he and his family would watch the show every day together, and he said that he understood by the end of it that you can do things. You're empowered, and you can do things. And so when he got into uh, his last year of high school, he started a, a group, and that's turned now into Turning Point USA. Which is, wouldn't you say now, the biggest youth uh, political organization out there? Yeah, I probably would say that. The most influential currently, for sure. And he is, I mean, he is, he's really challenging in many ways. CPAC, I mean, it is, they're completely different in so many ways. But he is, he's, he's done with the youth what CPAC has done for a very long time for conservatives of any age. And there's some other good uh, youth organizations as well on the conservative yeah, side. Yeah, yeah. But, I mean, yeah. Turning Point has been has made a big, huge impact. big amount of noise. Yeah. So uh, I've gotten to know Charlie uh, really well uh, as well here in the last year or so. And uh, when we sat down in West Palm, I had asked, I thought I had asked to interview him for my podcast. He was under the understanding that I had been asked to be on his podcast and he was going to interview me. And so we decided, you know, we're like, I, it, you don't want to spend two hours doing two different shows. To, and we're like, we're both like, no. <laughs> and so we decided, let's just interview each other and we'll both use it on our podcast. So this is the first time that Charlie Kirk's podcast is uh, available elsewhere and my podcast is available elsewhere. Um, they're releasing it today. So normally we release our podcast on Saturday, but we're going to release it today as well. Uh, it is um, me with Charlie Kirk. And this particular clip 
um, is him asking me a question. So I am responding about America and the American ideal. Everyone has to be able to fall. Everyone has to be able to bleed. Everyone has to be able to succeed because it's about the individual, not the group. And so well said, skeptics will say, but that's doomed to fail because of the law of hierarchies. So that you'll have so many people in the competence hierarchy that will get so good and will only multiply their wealth Mm. and multiply it. And over time, the mob will be created no matter what. What is it's our, a, what it's is a, our, it's, it's a more, it's a more pessimistic way to look at it. And yeah. I, I'm saying, I believe it. What is our mission statement as a country? Yeah. That's how, how I would articulate it. Yeah. Boy, I would go back to the American Trinity, which is liberty in God. We trust e pluribus unum, which means out of many one. And also to be able to live free and make choices you see fit as long as they don't hurt somebody else. So may I take that and that was that was on that was on right 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 on the on the fly. On the fly. May I take what you just <laughs> Please, said? Please go ahead and, and rip it apart. It. Yeah. No, no, no. It's right. Let me restate it a little more eloquently. We hold these truths to be self-evident mm-hmm. that all men are created equal and endowed by their creator with certain inalienable rights, and among these rights, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And governments are instituted among men to protect those rights. Mm-hmm. Okay, that is the greatest mission statement of all time. Thank you, John Locke. And, yeah. and everyone says, "Yeah, well, we never achieved it." Yeah. Yeah, we haven't. We haven't. Do you realize that aspirational statement? Those founders that wrote that said, I believe man can do this. That's like John F. Kennedy. My, my father was born in 1926. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, we talked about the moon launch. Um, and I said, what was that like? And he said, son, you have no idea. When I was growing up, we didn't think we could go to the moon. Nobody even talked about it. We didn't even think about it. We didn't even have electricity. The moon was just there and we were here and there's no way we're ever going to go to the moon. John F. Kennedy says, we're going to go to the moon. We're going to put men on it and we're going to return them home by the end of this decade. Everybody thought that's insane. We did it. Mm -hmm. We did it. Okay. This is the biggest idea any man has ever had any group of people. Wow. What we do is we just say, we suck. Instead of saying, wait a minute, we, we failed, but have you seen the progress over here? Have you seen this person, this group? Have you seen what these people have done? And promote the general welfare and domestic tranquility by saying, look at how we're advancing as man. It go, doesn't answer his basic question in this clip about, yeah, but there's going to be people left out. Yes and no. Yes and no. We are in a place now where we could very easily see oligarchs of literal biblical proportions, as long as you're talking about the last chapter of the <laughs> New Testament. <laughs> the... The oligarchs that could be created now through technology uh, could be 
unstoppable and the rest of us are playing for scraps, especially if they can take the technology, they can take whatever anybody's working on and they can sell it and make it better and and not have to worry about it. Um, because they have scale and nobody could ever achieve scale. Then we become serfs again. But that's not been our history. Our history is, yes, rich people get rich, but then somebody else invents something else, and those people uh, also uh, become rich. And, you know, a generation down the line, those other people, they fall to the side. We're, We're just living right now in another... Vanderbilt age. We're living in the age now of really the 1880s to 1930. We're living in that era where everything is about to change. And most people don't understand that. And that's where these, these, these people like, oh, the Astors. Oh, my gosh. And the Carnegies. <sighs> I got to tell you. Carnegie Hall, Carnegie Library. Who did, who did he think he was? Man, putting his name on all of these great places around that, you know, were benefiting society. What an egotist. And a tightwad. Robber baron, really. We're just living in this time, and what has to happen is self-regulation. That's the part that our founders warned us about this this system is completely uh unable to manage uh or to i should say not manage a group of people that have no morals that have that don't have an understanding of something bigger than them to answer to that is not controlled by man god they they don't this system will not work so I guess the answer to Charlie's question is we must we must recognize there's something bigger than us something bigger than man that doles out these rights and we have a responsibility to whatever that is to serve each other and to be good to each other but to never enslave one another never never enslave people's minds never in, in, enslave them by by stealing their bread or their ideas. Then, if we can get that part of us fixed, then we can make sure we root out corruption and get everything else fixed. So, Stu, could we just talk a little bit about China? I'm surprised this is not all you're talking about frankly. well i've been mr you know, catastrophist i've over been here. in the hospital with my daughter she just got out of the hospital yesterday doing better uh doing much better mm-hmm. so this this phase there are two more phases left she had brain surgery in case you don't know um and uh she's going in for one more test that's amazing that we can even do it it's called a wada test you should look it up they put one half of the brain to sleep and then they mm. wake that one up and put the other half of the brain to sleep while she's awake. I, I mean, I, it's happening in OR and they won't let me, but I would love to see that test done. Um, but uh, assuming that goes uh, well and what we, we're hoping, she'll go in uh, this spring for one more surgery, probably a full craniotomy. That's actually what we're hoping for. 
Um, and uh, it will give her a good chance of not having seizures Incredible. again. And Incredible. she has she has them all the time now. She's having seizures that we didn't even know were seizures. They were like, uh, it's worse than we thought it was. So, But anyway, but it's good. It's all good. Um, but I, So I've been not paying attention that much to except for impeachment, and I've been watching this China thing, and it's, it started out like, yeah, it's really bad, but it's a bad flu. You know, it's just affecting, you know, the elderly. So God forbid, keep the entire Democratic uh, <laughs> primary leaders in a plastic bubble. Um, but, that's, but that's what they were saying. And then, like last night, it was like, it's starting to mutate. Okay, mutate into what? Uh, and it's spreading faster than we thought. They've closed down now four cities not allowing anybody to leave these four cities. One of them is the size of Manhattan. Bigger than New York City is what they're saying. It's 11 million people. That is insane. And that's just one of the four cities. And they said that they think it came from, um, a, one of the places it came from was a particular, uh, uh, you know, a, a, a place you might go in a market to get some food. You know, just a little market. Now it's sold some things a little bit off offbeat. I don't even want to know. Uh, snake. Okay. Uh, they think it may have come from snake or bat, bat soup. soup. Bat soup. I is had a friend. Big... Well, you you have him too, uh, David Hall, who was a heavy guy until he went to China. He was doing work in China, and he had to live there for about a month and a half. And he ate nothing. He loved the he loved the food the first day, and he said, "Glenn, trust me. If you ever go, do not make this mistake. Do not ask them what it is." He said, I asked them what it was, and then I went to the market, and I'm like, what's that? What's that? What's that? And uh, he said, You'll not, you won't eat. Yeah. And he lost like 100 pounds. <laughs> he had nothing. He had nothing but bottled water. Anyway, um, so, so this, I mean, health screening now at major U.S. airports. We should mention that the first case in the United States has shown up as well in Washington. Seattle? State. Yeah. yeah. Uh, okay, so... There are 583 confirmed cases. There have been 17 deaths. That's higher than the flu. Mm-hmm. And they're saying that they. What do they know that we don't know? I mean, you they're know what, telling you what they know by their actions, aren't they? They think yeah, they yes, think this is yes, very yes, but they're risky. at the same time they're like, well, you know, it's just a bad flu. Excuse me, we had an Ebola breakout. Yeah. It ended up here in Dallas, yep. and you didn't monitor all the airports. They do think that it, this is the first time they've done these things since the Ebola breakout. However, the China situation, when you're cu- closing down these gigantic cities, it's unprecedented. They've never done it. Now, they've probably done it to murder a bunch of people because they don't weren't communist enough. That's one yeah, thing. Yeah, I mean, they slaughtered <laughs> entire totally cities, but yeah. they haven't. Yeah, they don't <laughs> close them down. They're like, close hey, down, all bro. you people are going to live. It's all going to be fine. Don't worry about it. You imagine being on the other side of that fence. You're like, oh, good God, they're going to kill us all. Yeah. I mean, I've, all of a sudden, all the, the population from these cities keep funneling into the Uyghur camps. And I want to know. <laughs> I really want to know. What is the deal? How can a population that is always in a surgical mask... This is a chicken and egg situation. They're in a surgical mask because every other day they have a new crazy flu. You're, you're no, getting this confused. I think all of their crazy flus are coming from the surgical masks. <laughs>